And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I am your host, Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer. I say football beat writer. That's why we always bring in basketball experts onto the show. As usual, we have Brendan Marks, our North Carolina and Duke basketball writer. And this week's special guest, Dane O'Neill, senior writer at The Athletic. Uh, she writes college basketball as well as anybody out there. Dana, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Glad to do it. We have a jam-packed show this week, and I feel like the ACC finally got interesting again. Uh, for a while there, it was just like, yeah, Duke and North Carolina are pretty bad. Like Half the teams are on a pause right now because of COVID, and UVA is running away with the conference. And all of a sudden, all that changed in the matter of a week. Uh, hopefully no breaking news right after this podcast happens. That seems to happen every time. I think once we're done today, uh, next week, it's going to be or it, it, like immediately after the show's over, they're going to announce that Duke and North Carolina are like trading coaches for the rest of the season. <laughs> or some, some big news like that. But we're going to proceed and hopefully nothing big will break like it did last week. And we're going to start with Duke. Because Duke, uh, you know, all of a sudden looks back from the dead. If this was uh, a gif, it's the Undertaker sitting up in his grave uh, ringside uh, for the contemporary reference there. Maybe Michael Myers in Halloween sitting up in the background for some of the older folks out there. Uh, that was a good good week for Duke. Uh, bouncing back, beats Wake Forest, uh, beats Virginia in a, a great game on Saturday, 66-65. All right, I'll throw it out to you guys. And, Brandon, I'll start with you uh, as the Duke expert here. Duke is back, right? This is it. Duke is back. You know, we have we have tempered expectations. We have always pressed the brakes when it has come to Duke is back talk on the podcast this season. But, uh, I, I mean, for once, there are signs that maybe, yes, we are close to that. I don't think anyone is saying, you know, the, those first two wins this week, NC State and Wake Forest, those are against teams that had a combined, I think, eight wins in the ACC. So, now, let's cool it a little bit, but certainly, yeah, the Virginia win. I mean, this is the resume booster statement win, whatever you want to call it, that Duke needed. And, and to finally get that, um, if Duke is not back, at least they're bubblicious. And, and that's good for all of us because it means we've got something more to talk about. All right. I'll look for a different answer that Dana, your Duke is back. You can tell me that Duke is back, correct? I'd say Duke is on the bubble of being back. How's that work? Um, here's the thing. Like they've talked themselves into the bubble conversation, which is way better than they were a week ago. Um, back to what is the question? Are they back to being Duke? Absolutely not. I mean, Duke being on the bubble is not Duke, right? That's not what we're supposed to talk about. They're supposed to be a one seed. Um, are they back to figuring things out? Perhaps. I mean, and look, let's be honest. The schedule breaks a little nicely for them going down the, the, the run here. I mean, they've got Syracuse. They've got Louisville, who, my goodness gracious, let's not even go there. Um, but you know, this could be the start of something where they start rolling downhill and feel good about themselves. Um, so, yeah, I think that they could figure things out. I will temper my Duke is back talk for now, though. 
Yeah, I think it's a good opportunity uh, for Duke here. I mean, you mentioned Syracuse, another bubble team. Louisville that, you know, even though it looked terrible against UNC the other day, <laughs> is still a tournament team right now. I mean, that would look good on a resume to win that at Georgia Tech at UNC. I mean, there seems like there's an opportunity there. The interesting thing with the Blue Devils, and this is the bit of news that I mentioned last week that happened right after we finished, is Jalen Johnson opted out. Like, you know, two hours after we wrapped the show last week, of course, because that's how it works. Uh, interesting. I mean, they, they seem like they have played pretty well. Uh, Jim Beheim, in his very, you know, well-researched <laughs> opinion on things like this, said that, uh, you know, Duke looks better than that with without him. Then later he's like, uh, admits he'd never seen him play. So, you know, maybe don't trust Jim Beheim's word on it's this. A great, but... It's a great look for Jim Beheim. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, I'll ask you, Duke, 5-0, and oh, in the ACC without Jalen Johnson. Now, those games are against Notre Dame, Boston College, Wake Forest twice, and UVA. So not exactly the cream of the crop for some of those. Is this team better off without Jalen Johnson right now? I'm, I'm glad you phrased it that way because I think the answer to that question is probably yes. I do think that Duke is probably better off without Jalen Johnson for, for a multitude of reasons, right? And, um, you know, we heard some of this last year with like, for example, UNC and Cole Anthony when, when UNC was struggling so much. Here was this highly touted prospect, but why weren't things working? And then, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, both have sort of benefited from, from separating and going their separate ways. I think for Duke, the situation is just this simple. Jalen Johnson, from a basketball perspective, did not play a style that meshes well with the other players on the roster. And and more specifically, not having Jalen Johnson on the roster has opened up more natural roles for the other guys to fill. And and the other guys, I'm mainly talking about the freshmen. You know, Mark Williams, freshman center, seven footer, five star guy. Um, he barely played for the most of the first half of the season. And now that Jalen is gone, he has been inserted into the starting lineup. He's a true five man. Uh, he's blocking something like 55 shots a game. I mean, he's just an unbelievable rim protector. And more importantly, by him playing in the center, by him banging around defensively, offensively, what that's allowed Duke to do is to just let Matthew Hunt Matthew Hurt hunt buckets. You know, he has just turned into a walking bucket at this point. I, I looked over the past three games, the NC State game, the Wake Forest game, and, and the Virginia game now, Matthew Hurt is shooting 77% from the field and 73% from three. He has made, he's made, he's made 14 of 19 three pointers. And, and that's because he's not having to exert himself on the defensive or offensive ends the way he used to inside. So, um, strictly from that perspective and freeing up Matthew Hurt, I, I do think that Duke is better without Jalen Johnson. But, um, again, you know, you mentioned four of those games are against teams that are the bottom feeders of the ACC. So keep doing it against the Georgia Techs and the Louisvilles. And then I think we'll be a little bit more impressed. Yeah, Hurt is also single-handedly bringing back the Moe Schrute beard from the office. <laughs> so I, I appreciate his efforts on that. Bringing in the office. I mean, Jalen, yeah. <laughs> Jalen Johnson was such a, an exceptional talent. I think everybody agrees he's going to go pretty high in the draft. Why was it just not a fit, do you think, for him at Duke? Well, I think it's all of those quest all those things that you know Brendan just mentioned. It's, it's not just a fit with Duke as a program. It's a fit with the other players on your team, right? Like It's got to all gel together. I will say, and look, I, I mean, and this is just, you know, I, I'm, I'm treading on dangerous Jim Beheim territory, I guess, by saying this. But look, we all hear things, right? We've all heard through much of this season that people question Jalen Johnson's commitment to being here. Understandably, in the middle of a global pandemic, while you've got bigger fish to fry, I don't criticize the kid for that at all. And questioning whether or not it was worth it or not. And when, whether he, that affected how he was playing, I don't say he wasn't committed to his team, but if that sort of is in the air around the program, it affects people. 
I don't care whether it's intentional or not. When people think that that's, you know, floating around, it affects how the team chemistry works. It affects how people coexist together. I don't make, I'm not criticizing the kid for that. It's just the reality. And when things are settled and you know where it all lays, it might work out a little bit better. So I think there's a little bit of that. I don't think there's, I don't think Jim Beheim was educated necessarily in his conversation, but I don't think he was dead wrong either. So I think it's a combination of things. And, you know, now it's like, all right, we now, we now know who we are. We now know how we have to play and we're going to move along here. I think there's something to be said for all of those things falling into place for Duke right now. I, for one, find it hard to believe that a septuagenarian coach would just throw off opinions like that without having researched the topic deeply. Uh, Turning to Virginia, we had kind of been under the assumption that Virginia was just going to cruise along and win this thing and there'd be no drama. I don't think anybody believes that UVA is as good as they have been in past years, certainly not a couple years ago when they won the national title. Uh, but it seems like some cracks are maybe starting to show on this Virginia team. The defense not quite as good as, as it has been in past iterations of this team. And I look at Virginia and I go, what is the Cavaliers' signature win? And it's probably that Clemson game where they just blew Clemson, out, you know, ran them out of the gym. I just destroyed them in that game. And that was Clemson coming off a COVID break. And that was, I mean, a month and a half ago, <laughs> whenever that game took place. And you go beyond that and you go, UNC, maybe the the next best win. Dana, what do you make of this Virginia team? And have we maybe just been kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt because they've been so good in the past couple of years that we overlook some of the, the problems with this team this year? Yeah, I think it's a combination of not just that, but also nobody else was very good in the ACC, right? It's like somebody right. somebody had to be good in this league. So let's take the team that least was winning more than everybody else. And that was Virginia. It was sort of by you know default that they had been anointed as the best team in the conference. And I'll be honest with you, watching them and I was always kind of like they're okay they're good they're not as you pointed out they're not the defensive team that we're used to but they never to me had a presence they never had a go-to guy they never had the person that's like that's the guy I mean Kihei Clark is a good player Jay Huff is a good player but I never felt like there was an identity to this team like give the ball to that guy and he's the killer he's there's no Ty Jerome on this team there's not even a Kyle guy on this team right and I think that's kind of something of what we're starting to see right now I think I'm not saying they're bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I think there was sort of an anointment of uh, because they were the best of a crummy league. Um, and I just don't think that they are built. I don't think Tony Bennett would argue with this, frankly. I don't think they're they're built for, you know, a massive year this year. I just don't think they are. Um, does that mean that they can't come back and get their act together? You know, I would never bet against Tony Bennett and I would never bet against them in the tournament because they are unique and they can mess up some teams along the way but i just kind of think they're falling back to the mean a little bit looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Brennan, if Kihei Clark's shot goes in at the end of the Duke game, do I phrase the question this way? Like, what's <laughs> wrong point. with Virginia? I, yeah, I mean, I think you still do because, like, and, and that's the, the that's the problem, though. Like, why is Kihei, why is Kihei Clark the guy who's taking a game-winning shot with 10 seconds left against Duke? You know, Kihei Clark shoots 30% from three. He had gone, I think, 5 of 15 in that game. So, like, Kihei Clark is not the guy you want taking that, but that's the problem. As Dana said, Virginia doesn't have another guy who really can. You know, Hauser's great. Huff is great. But... You know, at Marquette, Hauser was not a good defender, and that has carried over. And like you can, you know, him having a year in Tony Bennett's system, having a year to sort of learn that intensity, learn, you know, the the importance of defense, I would say. I think that all helped, but but that only got him up to maybe slightly above the mean, if that. I mean, he is just not a great defender. And and Jay Huff, as good as he is, he's not a guy who's gonna go out there and handle the ball and control the game and the pace and everything. So um you know, if you have a guard in Kihei Clark who's able to get bodied by a Duke freshman playing 10 minutes a game, um, that worries me. That's concerning, I think. And again, not to say in any way, shape, or form that Virginia is not a good team. I think they are. I think that they caught, you know, Florida State, uh, a hungry Florida State who was getting back after a COVID pause. Florida State sort of had to work out some of the kinks against Wake. But yeah, at the same time, like this is this is a team that I think we've been saying all season, they're good, they're fine. But there's nothing special. There's nothing that really stands out. And, and you know, Huff is, you know, the statistics that he's putting up are crazy. I think he's maybe the only player in the country who's averaging like 60, 40, and 75. But he's not the guy making everything go. We know guards guards in March. And um, I'm, I'm just not sure that with Kihei Clark and Marcel and, and even Trey Murphy. Trey Murphy sort of disappeared in that Duke game. So, um you know, I, I'm not going to say that Virginia can't still win the ACC. I think that they're still probably one of the two or three teams that has a, a fighting chance at doing so. But yeah, no, I'm much less afraid of the Cavaliers if I'm an opponent today than I was at this time a week ago. The other big story last week, I think, has to be North Carolina. Holy crap. What a beatdown of Louisville. I might have had a vested interest in that. Uh, it may have put a few bucks on the first half uh, line for North Carolina. In that Look game. at you so testing was, out the betting I was, lines. <laughs> I was watching with a little bit of interest in that one. Uh, quite frankly, one of the only uh, outcomes that has gone my way uh, recently in some early trials of this. 99-54 to 54 against Louisville. Uh, Brandon, you wrote about it. The five-man freshman class for UNC scored 71 points 
in that game. Uh, it's not bad. <laughs> no, that's that's pretty good. That that'll do. If they do that, they're going to be an okay team here going forward. The Louisville coming off a two and a half week COVID break. Uh, but come on, I did not think it would be that lopsided. Uh, Brandon, when you look at that outcome, do you go, that's impressive for North Carolina? Or do you temper it a little bit because of the, the situation Louisville was in? Yeah, I, I think you have to do both. You know, and I, there were a lot of UNC fans. UNC Twitter was going crazy on, on Saturday. Like, oh my God, we're the best team ever now. Like, okay, calm down. Like the first time that Louisville came off a of COVID pause, they lost by 37 to Wisconsin. So like the second COVID pause does really break you. And and we cannot discount that. Also, the fact that Louisville was out two guys, um, just rotation players, but the eighth and ninth man in their rotation, you know, they average about 20 minutes a game. And in the second half of that one, Louisville looked gassed. So I say all of these things to build up to the fact that UNC did still play its best offensive performance of the season easily. I mean, without a question. And as we had seen with Duke a week ago, and Coach K mentioned how Duke had sort of switched up its defense and how they were primarily defending ball screens, UNC has done the same now. But at the same time, UNC has implemented new offensive tactics as well. And, and the biggest beneficiary of those was Dayron Sharp, who is UNC's number one recruit, five-star center, a guy who looks like he might be a first-round pick should he declare for the NBA draft. Um, he is 6'10", you know, built out of stone, gigantic, um, an incredible motor. I mean, just such a fun player to watch. But as an 18-year-old kid, Dayron Sharp does not have an expanded array of post moves. Uh, he doesn't really know what to do when he posts up and gets the ball inside. He doesn't really have any counters. So what Roy Williams said was, okay, let's not put you in those situations. Let's get you cutting to the basket. Let's have actions that have you already in a scoring position when you're getting the ball so you don't have to create any of that yourself. And as a result, he ends up having 20 points and 11 rebounds. And, you know, in the first five minutes he played, he had five offensive boards. So UNC is always going to dominate in the glass. But but Dayron Sharp especially has been the biggest beneficiary of some of these moves. And, um, yeah, you know, if UNC continues to play this way, it's hard not to be optimistic. And, and UNC, I would say, more than maybe some of the other teams in the ACC, because of the style they play, because of that dedication to two bigs, they can really go four deep on the inside. If a team in the tournament runs up against that and hasn't seen size, that has caused problems in the past. So this is by no means me saying UNC is going to win the ACC. They're going to go far in the tournament or any of that. They're, they're still not even firmly in the tournament. Um, but this is a team that is starting, I think, to, to show signs of what you expected to see months ago. And if I'm another ACC team or a team that you know has to face up against UNC in the tournament, that's that's something that certainly concerns me. Yeah, UNC is so interesting because they're basically just putting open advertisements on Twitter for whoever wants to play them in the middle of the week. They're it's like, like a hey, giant. Looking for a game, guys. Anybody? Yeah, I think we should have gotten like five guys and just shown up. Like we're here, we're good. We're yeah. That w- I would have. I would have bet on that one too. I think I would bet <laughs> on UNC in that particular game. The best thing. I, the best thing about that is they had Division two and three schools actually answering in the Twitter DMs, <laughs> not even on email, but literally on Twitter. <laughs> That's 2021 in a nutshell right now. Dana, this team is interesting. Uh, I mean, it, it feels like they're scheduling those extra games specifically just to get the experience for a lot of these guys and kind of keep the rhythm going. Uh, it's weird to look at some of the, the bubble stuff and see uh, UNC is like an 11 or a 12 seed because uh, the talent is there. Mm-hmm. Could this be a problematic team, do you think, if, if things come together for them once they get into the postseason? I think so. I've always thought that among you know all the, quote, blue bloods that were having issues, if you will, I always felt like Carolina had the best upside to kind of get its act together and really be the most dangerous come March. I just, you know, talent-wise, I thought what ailed them was the most fixable. 
And I think we're starting to see all of that right now. So, you know, yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, I, I know we're all laughing at Roy Williams, like basically, you know, hunting games on Twitter because it's hilarious. I mean, this is like, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> but I think it's a brilliant plan. I mean, because that is the one thing that this team needs, you know, kind of like we were talking about Duke, you, you start rolling downhill and feeling good about yourself. I think Roy recognized we got some traction. Let's just keep it going. And, you know, it, it's, look, it's not going to hurt you to go play Marquette. I mean, absolutely nothing to lose there. So I think it's a great plan. And yeah, I think, you know, to all the points that Brendan pointed out about how they've kind of reconstituted their offense and it's working. Um, I, Oh, I just feel like, you know, I don't, I don't see a way that they don't get in the tournament at this point. Honestly, I think, you know, somebody's got to get in this thing. Um, and I think they belong in it compared to a lot of other people that think they do. Um, and once they get in, you know, I, I just feel like there's something to be said about a team that feels good about itself and, and has talent. It's not like, oh, these are some nice players. They've got talent on this team. Um, and they're just starting to figure out how to put it all together. So, yeah, I, I would not, not want to see Carolina if, if they're opposite me on a first-round game in, uh, what is it, March 19th? Is that the date? March 19th. Hopefully, fingers crossed that everything goes well (laughs) as planned this year. We are 18 and a half minutes in, and we have not talked yet about the first place team in the ACC. Welcome to Leonard first place. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Uh, It was last Monday, I believe, when uh, Florida State kind of took control and just blew out Virginia in that game. Uh, The Seminoles look pretty good. They look bad in that Wake Forest game. They probably should have lost that game that was coming off their going COVID break there, but then they looked really good against UVA. They went up to Pitt, handled Pitt in a game where they did not shoot well. They shot 28% from three in that game. They still found a way to win. Uh, Dane, I'll ask you first, uh, is this Florida State's league to lose at this point? Yeah, I mean, I'm not joking when I say that about Leonard Hamilton. I swear to God, Leonard Hamilton someday is going to lift lift the NCAA championship trophy above his head and his confetti is going to come down. And was like, oh, uh, uh, should we talk about them? I mean, honestly, they are like the most chronically overlooked good team in the history of college basketball. I honestly can't think of another one out there. And I mean, it's not even like their football team's any good, so you can't blame it on football anymore. It's, it's just the most bizarre thing. I think it's partially who he is. I mean, he's just a dude. He's a stoic, kind of nice, really nice guy, but that's who they are. But yeah, I mean, Florida State has long been the best team in this conference. This is not shocking. This is where we're landing. It's just a matter of the rest of us paying attention. Um, you know, is, is this their best team? No. But are they the best team, in, again, in a league that needs a, needs an, an alpha dog? There is. Um, so yeah, I just feel like we're heading back to where we belong. We just took a long time to get here. Yeah, Leonard Hamilton, seventy-two years old, by the way. Yeah, looks like he's fifty. Like, look he at, looks like he's fifty. Yeah, uh, Bunny Colvin look-alike from The Wire. He looks exactly <laughs> like Bunny Colvin. I'll never not see that when I see him on the sideline there. Yeah, Brendan, I I've been a big Florida State fan all year. Uh, just in terms, I I always like their depth. I just like their style that they have. Uh, is this all coming together for them at the right time of the season? Yeah, but also I, I don't think it was ever not going right. Like a, a, a COVID pause does not by any means mean that you're broken or whatsoever. And and now that you do wonder, you do wonder how you come out of that. If you do. It's going to be okay. Sure. You do. But but again, against Wake Forest, like this is a team you should roll over Wake Forest. But if it takes, you know, a, a, a reverse layup from Scotty Barnes with half a second left to get into overtime and win it in overtime, that's what it takes. So and this team can do what it takes. And I think the thing that's most impressive about Florida State, too, is that 
depending on the opponent, they can beat you a bunch of different ways. Like they have so many different guys who are good at different things. Like, you know, if MJ Walker and Anthony Polite need to shoot 15, 23s, okay, they'll do it. If Scotty Barnes needs to go, you know, point forward God mode, he can do that. Um, if you need Balsa, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his last name, Koprakova. Uh, if you need Balsa to go in and, and just dominate and be a seven footer inside and get boards and get putbacks, he can do that. So, yeah, and, and, and also, this is not Florida State's best team. You know, I think everyone forgets last year. This team won the oh, ACC in, in convincing fashion, lost lost two guys in the first, what, 11 picks of the NBA draft? Like, let's talk about them a little bit more. But, yeah, no, I think that this is a team that um, now, considering the week that Virginia has had, this is the, the best chance for the ACC to get maybe a two seed. I don't think that that's – I think a one seed is probably out of striking distance. But I do think that Florida State could end up getting a two, sort of carrying the flag. Um, and, again, yeah, I mean – with Florida State not getting its due last year, not getting heavy, the opportunity for that team to show what it could do in the tournament, um, I, I'm really interested to see what you would do if you had to pay this team. Because, you know, I don't get paid to coach basketball, but I don't know what the hell you do to try to stop these guys. <laughs> that, there would be some justice uh, to this whole thing if Florida State were to win the, the ACC yep. this year after it didn't have an opportunity uh, to participate in that last year. Do we know yet how they're going to judge the standings? I mean, there's such inequity in the number of games a lot of these teams have played, is it going to go by winning percentage? Is that how they're going to do it? In the ACC tournament, that's my understanding. And that's also, I think, the only way that you really can do it, um, especially not knowing what's going to happen. You know, what's the end date? The 26th of February for sort of sussing yeah. out what the what the conference tournament is going to look like? Yeah, so if you've only got a couple more days to do that, you have no idea what's going to happen in the two weeks thereafter. Winning percentage is the only thing you can do. Yeah, um, yeah. I think oh. the Atlantic 10 is doing this weird thing where they're doing like, uh, if you've, played the median number of games that every, everyone else has played, then it's by your winning percentage. If not St. Louis, um, then they're using the net ranking, but that becomes really complicated because that like, like, so St. Louis essentially jumps a bunch of teams because their net ranking is higher. Just like they have, in fact, they haven't played a lot of teams. I, I feel like you should just pick one. Um, and I'm not sure that trying to like marry the two statistics makes a heck of a lot of sense. No, I agree with you. The net the net thing is also wonky because like if you look at UNC and Louisville, for example, they switched places in the net yeah. after Saturday. And I don't think that anybody would say that that was equitable in any way. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be win percentage. And then again, you're hoping that nobody opts out. Like, I don't think like Tony Bennett is going to necessarily. But, um, you know, if, I, I would be shocked to see Boston College show up. Yeah. Like, why? Like, why? <laughs> why bother? I, I they had a great week. So, yeah. <laughs> I just want to quit while they're behind. At this yeah. Point. <laughs> Just for more humiliation at that, I, it does create an interesting scenario here because Florida State is nine and two, UVA is eleven and three. Uh, UVA has three games left; they could conceivably be fourteen and three at the end of the season. Say Florida State slips up in one of its last four games and finishes at that, they could max out at twelve and three. You go winning percentage. UVA is the better team in that, even though they both have three losses, and Florida State beat the crap out of them down in Tallahassee. Like, I, I guess in this year of all it's things, be we can't like be that. complaining. Yeah, you can't be I, complaining about stuff I, like I've that. Said, but it, that just seems weird to me. I said from the beginning of this season that whatever coach stands up on selection Sundays and complains that he did not get a bid, I'm going to take my shoe and just throw it at him. Because like this year, <laughs> stop. Just stop. Yeah, the idea of fairness, you know, let's just take Gone. it, trample it. It doesn't exist, yeah. Gone. Ken, Virginia, I, I think uh, you're looking at the losses here in the standings. Virginia Tech is the only other team with three or fewer losses. Uh, they haven't played in like eight weeks, it feels like. They've been on such a pause here. Four straight games they've had postponed. Uh, I mean, they're 8-3. They could finish 12-3. and three. They could be could, could 
they get up there in the mix. And if they do, you're looking at the games that they have missed. They missed UNC, they've missed Florida State twice, and they missed UVA on the road. And I don't think any of those games are getting made up. Uh, how do you judge that team if they end up, you know, they, you know, we've seen teams come off a COVID break and they don't look very good. Mm-hmm. So it, I think they might struggle in this game against Georgia Tech on Tuesday. But say they don't and say they win out those games and go 12 and 3. How do you judge them against other teams that have played a full schedule and a schedule against, uh, you know, teams that are at the top of the standings? Yeah, I mean, I think the more important thing than just the games that, like, the, the quantity of games, like, think about those opponents they just missed, you yeah. know? I, like, I was so excited to see UNC Virginia Tech. I was going to be at that game. Um, you know, the opportunity to see Virginia Tech, Virginia. Like, I think Virginia Tech is still a good team. Like, we look at, you go look at their non-conference. That yeah. win over Villanova looks great. I mean, they have some, some marquee wins on the schedule, and... Uh, the way they play, like especially for this only being year two of Mike Young, we've talked about this a lot. But like, I like I, I like Keve Aluma, I like Jalen Cohn, I like Wabisabide. Like, I think they have good, interesting pieces, and I think the way that they play is conducive to, you know, doing well in March. Um, so yeah, I, I think that in that situation, I, I do think that they're probably going to struggle to some extent coming off a of COVID pause. I don't think any team in the country has really been exempt of doing that. Um, but yeah, no, I think, you know, if you get to that situation, you've got a tiebreaker and you don't have it neat and easy. Again, whatever metric you want to pick, you can pick one, but it's not going to be fair no matter what. So like, don't don't even stress trying to find something that's the most, I don't know, reasonable. There, there's no such thing. Nope. Yeah, Virginia Tech, I think those UNC and Florida State games, those were the ones that I was most interested yeah. in because they have the size to make life problematic for the Hokies down low. I think both of you would probably agree Florida State, UVA, top two teams, in the conference, who would you have third, third and fourth? Dana, who, who do you put in those slots? Wow. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, probably Virginia tech. And honestly, like I, I feel like, again, I feel like I'm getting on the bandwagon here a little bit, but I think, I think Carolina is, is going to end up there. I really do. Um, I just feel like I said earlier, I just feel like they have the most talent. I have not felt Louisville all year. And I just, I just kept saying like, there's no, I just can't wrap my head around maybe because, you know, they have played so infrequently and and their schedule has been such a mess, but I can't wrap my head around who Louisville even is. I'm not even sure if Chris Mack can, to be honest with you at this point. Um, So I'm not really, I don't see them finish in the the top portion of this conference. I mean, you can tell me I'm crazy and go crazy, but that's, that's, that's where I would look at it. I'm not going to call a guest crazy. (laughs) I only call Brandon that. (laughs) Brandon, who do you have in that third and fourth spot? Yeah, I I really like Virginia Tech. Like I said, you know, I think uh, it's going to be crazy. You're probably talking about two members of the all ACC first team, Carly Jones and Kevin Aluna as as transfers from Radford and Wofford, um, which is just crazy to me to think about. But yeah, I really like Virginia Tech. I think that they're probably one of those. And then, for me, I, I probably side with Dana, probably go with North Carolina. I mean, the size that this team had, this was the first game against Louisville all year that all four of UNC's big men scored in double figures. And they the, the high-low passing they had, the give-and-goes, um, I mean, they just looked so good. And again, we talk about the COVID pause, but like if UNC is making shots from deep and, and Kerwin Walton, this, you know, sub hundred freshman that they brought in in April, awesome. who is, he's just, a, he's just a sharpshooter. He's just changed the way that UNC plays because you have to respect him. And whenever someone goes out to close out on him, that opens up space for those big guys inside. So yeah, I, I think that um, the way UNC plays, the way that they're coming along, uh, they're not going to have any sort of energy problems with how deep they are. I mean, they can legitimately go 10 deep and, UNC might still be getting another big man back 
in the next couple of weeks. Sterling Manley hasn't played in two years and he's out after games, you know, playing one-on-one with Walker Kessler. So, you know, this is a team that got reinforcements in Anthony Harris, got reinforcements in Kerwin Walton, is potentially going to get Sterling Manley back. You know, I, I, you know, and I think that Roy Williams also, I'll say this, Roy Williams did not forget last season. He did not forget the jokes that we all made about him. And he is still, he is still angry about it. And, and I would not bet against an angry Roy Williams uh, trying to get some revenge these last two weeks of the season. Let's talk bubble real quick. Uh, I think there are three teams we could probably consider in that bubble talk. Uh, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, and I guess we got to include Duke now. I uh, hadn't before kind of had them out of the, the loop there, but I think they're in it now. Syracuse uh, looked DOA against Notre Dame last week and then comes back, rallies from 20 points down to win that. Uh, Georgia Tech beat Pitt and then just absolutely crushed Miami, a uh, game that wasn't even close from the outset. And then Duke, obviously, we talked about before. Uh, Dana, of those three teams, which ones do you think has the best chance to play their way into the tournament? I mean, I, I look. I mean, I know we all want to talk about Syracuse coming back against Notre Dame. Notre Dame is horrible, and the fact that they got down so badly. I mean, this is more a byproduct of, of the Irish than it is Notre, at Syracuse, in my opinion. I don't. Think well, Notre Dame's been frisky. They've been frisky lately. They've given some teams some problems. <laughs> they've I given score. Some, they've given some teams some problems, but they're not very good. And yeah. Syracuse is getting their doors blown off by them, and then rallied. You know, and everyone wants to like sing Jim Beheim's praises and put them into the. No, I'm not. I'm not writing that one. I'm not putting them. I just don't see it occurring. I really don't. Um, you know, like again, I think I, I think you have to at some point start looking at talent, and and talent rises. And I think Duke has more of it. I mean, let's be practical about how. But of what what are you going to trust going down into the wire here? What team do you think might actually get its act together? Why why wouldn't it be Duke based on the players that they have and the way they looked in the last couple of games and the guy that's coaching knows a thing or two? And you know. Um, I, I know that the, that the committee is not supposed to think these ways, but you know, if you're going to look at two names that you're going to put into your, and it's a push and one is named Duke and one is named Georgia tech and you got to push, where are you pushing? I'm trying to be a realist here. <laughs> All that Josh Pastner hate from the committee, keeping him out of the tournament. Brandon, <laughs> what do you think? And it here, by the way, we should not discount the has. fact that Josh Pastner has done a terrific job from the hot seat to making a team relevant. He's done a good job this year. Absolutely. He's been, He's been great. Jose Alvarado, I think, is a player of the year candidate. Without He's question. been really great. Uh, Brandon, I'll throw the question to you, too. And keep in mind, Syracuse and Duke tonight. I think that's a pretty big game that could, uh, you know, eliminate one of these two from this conversation. Yeah, I, I'm with Dana. I, I sort of struggle to see it with Syracuse. Like, Notre Dame's offense has been good, but they, they just don't defend. Like, I mean, they defend like I defend at the YMCA, which is <laughs> just nothing. Um, So, like, I, I have struggled seeing that. And also, you know, this is still a Syracuse team that doesn't have a big. Uh, their defense is, you know, to go down 20 against Notre Dame, like that's that's a bad look. That's you really bad. Work, you have to take a look at that, I think. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not any, like coming back and winning that game is, is like Dana said, that's not all that impressive to me. Um, I actually, you know, Josh Pastor's done a good job, but I'm a little bit disappointed with Georgia Tech. You know, you look at those first two games for them against, I think, you know, Mercer and maybe like Georgia State. Um, Losing those two games might be what keeps Georgia Tech out of the tournament because otherwise, like they have some nice conference wins and and they're a good team. Like we talk about Jose Alvarado, but Michael DeVoe is good. Moses Wright is good. And like this, this was supposed to be the year for Passner. Like this was the year that all of these guys were experienced. They were older, no postseason ban. Like, so for me, I actually look at it as, as sort of an underwhelming season for like, it's great that they're as competitive as they are, that they're on the bubble at all. But 
you know, with the talent that he has, the experienced talent, I expected more from the Yellow Jackets. So um, I still think Duke has the best chance. It's going to take a remarkable end of season run. Like, let's not discount the fact that like Duke lost to Miami three weeks ago. Like you have to overcome some of those hiccups from earlier this year. Um, But no, at the same time, like the Virginia win, you know, there's a reason why we were talking about it so much. That's a huge boon for the Blue Devils. And uh, yeah, just when you talk about talent, you talk about Coach K, like, it's, it's hard not to feel good about the direction that Duke is moving. It feels like they sort of shed their skin a little bit. And of those three, I really think Duke is probably the only one that has any real chance of getting in. Brennan, I want to see video of you playing pickup basketball <laughs> at this point. <laughs> at, the next, at, at the next athletic summit, we will make sure that we get plenty, plenty of... Just uh, cherry picking outside by the three-point line, throwing your hand up the whole time, and then not getting back on defense. Uh, lastly on the show, before we go, I do want to hit on Boston College because uh, probably 15 seconds after we finished our show last week, they fired Jim Christian. Uh, they did that after he went on the ACC teleconference in the morning. Like, why force somebody to go do that? Like, I don't think anybody is like disagreeing with the decision to fire Jim Christian. He probably deserved it after going 78 and 132 uh, in seven seasons. The, uh, the timing just seems strange of this whole thing. I don't quite know why you do it at this stage of the season or right, or make somebody go do the ACC teleconference before you do it. But maybe we should have expected that from the administration that nearly forced him to play with four scholarship players sure. uh, one week. This is uh, a job I just have no idea about it. So I'll throw it to you two. And, and Dana, I'll start with you. What do you make of this Boston College job? This is a program that has not been to the tournament since 2009. That's the longest drought in the ACC. They haven't had a uh, finished over 500 in the ACC in a decade. Uh, that seems like a really tough job up there. And I, I really don't know what direction you go. And I don't know what kind of ceiling you can put on that, that program right now. Yeah, I've always felt in, you know, um, going back to the good old Big East roots, I always felt like when BC left the Big East for the ACC, I understood what they were chasing in terms of the money in football, but it never fit. I mean, I always felt like the program was never, I mean, Syracuse in the ACC doesn't fit either, but Syracuse at least has some name branding that can carry it, it in, into that transition. Boston College never even had that in the Big East in terms of like just a big name brand program for basketball that was going to just make inroads in the, in the ACC. So I always felt like this was going to be a very difficult climb for them. And I think that's what we've seen. I think they are just kind of on this Island by themselves and, and don't really fit. And it's a league that's difficult to climb. What they need is somebody, I mean, who knows the landscape a little bit of the Northeast, in my opinion, I mean, you need, and you need somebody that's got some high energy because it's, it's a ton of work. So, you know, the logical choices are somebody like John Becker from Vermont, James Jones from Yale. I mean, these are guys who are familiar with, you know, the, with the Northeast or familiar with, you know, New England. Um, they are guys, I mean, especially James Jones, he works at Yale. He doesn't have scholarships. It's a huge step up. So these are people who are willing to, to work hard. Um, you might be able to convince a young assistant um, to take a risk, but, you know, young assistants who are really quality guys are, are, are going to be savvy enough to wait and see. Like people mentioned Kyle Neptune at Villanova. I mean, he, he can get a good job. I'm not, that's not a very good job, frankly. Um, I think he could do better at some point. So I'm not sure. Maybe he takes a leap at it. I'm not sure. But I think that's what you need. You need somebody who is going to get players and groom players for four years and make a program with a foundation because you're not going to go out and win the recruiting wars right now. 
Brandon, what do you think? That's that's a, a strange job. I know we joked last week. We're like, they should hire Jared Dudley. He's out there. PC <laughs> alum, big name. Yeah. Just, just go hire him. Uh, I don't know what direction you go. What do you go with this? Yeah, I agree with Dan. I think the biggest thing for that job is the Northeastern ties because, you know, it, you look at someone, you bring in like another mid-major guy who's got like, you have to have someone who understands that landscape. And like, you know, maybe they they, they put in another call to Tommy Amaker just to get told no again. Um, but like, you need someone who understands that region, who understands the challenge you're going into, who understands that it's going to be a process. It's going to take time. You know, this is a team right now that's relying on like, transfers from Quinnipiac and for an ACC program that's just not good enough like Rich Kelly can't be your best player in any given game um, and especially now you're looking like you know their best player Winston Tab is is in the transfer portal so you're really starting with nothing in the cupboard and I do think that it'll ultimately be a guy like Becker I think it'd be a great fit for him um, I know a couple of people have thrown out John Shire from Duke is potentially being interested but like Dana said I think he can wait for a better job than that. Like, I don't think he needs to put himself in that position. Um, yeah, it's it's certainly tough. I, I, there really isn't any recent history of success. You said they made the tournament in 2009. That's more recent than I would have guessed. And that's probably all you need to know about where Boston College basketball team is right now. But um, yeah, I think you got to go with someone high energy who knows the region. And, and frankly, someone who's willing to put up with a couple of years of suck and not lose that same level of energy. All right, we can't close the podcast on BC Talk, so let, let's pick out one game this week uh, for a prediction. I, th- I feel like I got a vibe from both of you what direction you're thinking Syracuse-Duke tonight is going to go. So let's look at Saturday's game, Florida State at UNC, because I think that's an interesting one. Uh, Dana, who you got in that game? Well, I agree with you. That is an interesting one because, you know, like I said, we always just like to overlook Florida State and, and assume that – uh, they're not going to be there at the end. and But experience-wise and, and logic-wise, you should pick Florida State, which is exactly why I'm going to go with North Carolina. Uh, because I'm going to be completely illogical here. Um, again, I just feel like, I don't know, I feel like Carolina's dancing on the edge of something kind of here. I think their biggest can get things done. I think uh, I think they're going to have a wave of confidence. I really do. They're going to, you know, what, they have Miami in between. I think, I think, I think, Carolina takes that one. I'll be dead wrong. Brandon, over under 71 points for the freshman from UNC in that game. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go I'll go under comfortably. It's crazy, though. So UNC sets a freshman record with 71 points scored. That breaks a record set from three weeks ago when the freshman had 58 points against NC State. So, like, the freshman class is very clearly getting better. Um, I, I'm going to go with Florida State in this one. Um, I'm going to be at this game. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> Again, crossing my fingers, crossing everything I can that it actually happens. Um, the thing that I look at is this. UNC against Louisville absolutely thrived on second chance opportunities, as it always does. UNC second nationally in offensive rebounding. That advantage isn't going to exist against Florida State. Florida State's 15th in the country in offensive rebounding. If UNC is not getting those second, third, fourth chances around the basket, I, I think that they might struggle to be as efficient offensively as they have in the past. So for that reason, the fact that sometimes UNC's three-point defense looks like mine, um, I think you put those two things together. The one thing that is working in UNC's favor is this is a home game. Florida State hasn't yeah. been as great on the road as they have been at home. So I, I, I think it's going to be close. I will ultimately go with Florida State, though. I think that right now they're more cohesive, and I think that their bigs are going to be able to nullify enough of UNC's offensive rebounding percentage um, and that advantage the Tar Heels usually have. What well, do I get when I win? Yeah. <laughs> You can come back. You can host the pod next week. 
<laughs> if you win, you can take over. Uh, finally, we have some intrigue in the ACC. I felt like we were yeah. on the like such a flat line for the longest time. It's finally interesting. Uh, Dana, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, lending us your expertise here. Anytime. Glad to do it. All right. That's going to do it for the show. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, go follow all of us on Twitter. I'm at Andy Bitter VT. Brendan's at Brendan R. Marks. Dana is at Dana O'Neill Writer. That's no apostrophe, one L, writer at the end, all one word. Uh, follow all of us for great insight on the ACC going forward here. If you haven't yet, go on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Rate, review us. We love great reviews. We'll take mediocre reviews, but we really like the great reviews. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic yet, do so now. You can listen to this podcast ad-free. That's at theathletic.com slash ACC pod. We'll be back next week to talk some more ACC hoops.